Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Adrenaline, nothing personal, word of the day. It's Monday, November 8th, 2021. The word of the day is adrenaline, which is one of my favorite words because I don't understand what it is. I know what it makes me feel like. I know when I have a lot of it and I know when I'm running out of it, but I don't really understand the chemical nature of it inside your body. I did the New York Marathon yesterday. I wanted to tell you a few things about what that day was like. First of all, to everyone on the course who said hello, thank you. It was more helpful than you know. The crowds in New York are amazing. And uh, Coca, nothing personal, has certainly increased its reach. People in New York watching the marathon were into it. And I, uh, I had a terrible day because I had something happen to me, which I wanted to talk about because it fascinated me. So when you do a marathon, you basically are running 26.2 miles or walking or some combination of getting from the start to the finish. And you never know what's going to happen during the course of a race. So there's going to be glitches and you know that you just don't know what they'll be. So yesterday, my left earbud stopped working and only my right earbud worked. My right earbud worked for music. So that was bothersome to me. And then my watch was off So there are mile markers on the marathon and I got to mile one and my watch was on 0.65. So there was something going on and my pace was off and I am incredibly rain man about pace and where I am and how much further I have and I'm doing math about when I'm going to finish, where I'm going to be at different parts of the race and everything was off and there weren't clocks, official clocks at every mile, only at like at the 5Ks, 10K, 15K, etc. So I couldn't really keep track of anything. So I turned my watch off and then turned it on again. And that didn't work either. It never got GPS. So that was a glitch. And that is incredibly bothersome. But incredibly cool is that I got an email from the New York Roadrunners Club one random day. And when you're addicted to your phone, you tend to respond to emails more quickly than others. And it was a random email from MasterCard saying, hey, we're sending this out to 30,000 entrants to people who are entering into the New York Marathon. If you respond and are willing to pay $250, we'll give you a priceless experience. It's not priceless, of course, because it costs $250, but I'm not going to quibble. And for that money, you get to start and you get to go on a VIP bus from the city to Staten Island where the marathon starts. And instead of sitting outside in the cold on a blanket that you bring and then throw away or a piece of tinfoil and where you just sit on so you don't get wet, you're in a tent with food. And then you start the race at 825, which is before the elite men and women start. I thought it was too good to be true. I responded immediately and got it and I got accepted. And 
as did three other people I was with because I immediately got it and then immediately sent it and only people with MasterCards could get it. Be that as it may, I was a part of four of the 25 people who were part of this MasterCard priceless event. So we get to the race and I was due to start at 1040 if I didn't get this. So we get there early. We have to be on a bus at 545 a.m. So I'm up at 430 because I have a whole routine before a marathon that includes a peanut butter sandwich. It includes a bathroom break before and after the peanut butter jelly sandwich. It includes a goo before I leave the house. It's a whole thing. It includes Band-Aids and then A&D. It's a lot. But, it, but it's in a very particular order, and it goes super quickly and super smoothly, and I don't forget stuff. So I get to the race, and we get ready to start. And I'm looking around because I still think it's too good to be true. But there's no one at the start except us. Usually you start in waves of thousands of people, and it was just 25 of us. And so the starter starts it with a starter's cannon, and there we go. And I was alone because Brett Parker, my friend with Parkinson's, who I've been running races with for 25 years, this was my 25th marathon yesterday, and my first one was with him 25 years ago. We've run 15 together. He was diagnosed, as you know, with early onset Parkinson's at 38. So I was raising money for him as well as for Longevity, which is the charity that my sister supports, supported and our family continues to support. And Brett, I ran with Brett in Boston and to raise money this year, he ran Boston and New York, which is two marathons that are always far apart. But this year, because of COVID, they were three weeks apart. And when you've got Parkinson's, it's not easy to do. So I tried to pretend that I had some ailment, which I didn't. I had the ailment of laziness. I was in Stanford doing CBS Sports HQ during the World Series and the LCS. And for whatever reason, I stopped training. And I didn't run once from Boston to New York. From October 11th to November 7th, I did not lace up my sneakers. But I'm just cocky enough, and I felt like I had the muscle memory and that everything was going to be fine. So the race starts, and I had not run in a long time. And I start going, and you're going over the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, which in normal days, you have to weave in and out of people, or you're so close to people that it's, it's a COVID thing, except this was pre-COVID. It's just a massive humanity on the bridge, and you hear the bridge shaking and the, the stamping on the bridge. It's an incredible thing. People are pulled over and peeing off the side. I mean, it's a whole great thing. But yesterday, we went over the bridge, just us, and then you start separating, and I didn't run with Brett yesterday the way I did in Boston, and I was trying to break five hours, which without training seemed like a possibility because when I train fully, I can do between four and 440. So this seemed possible. So get over the bridge. It's two miles over the Verrazano Narrow Bridge. All of a sudden, there's people on the course, tons of crowd. It's amazing. But they think I'm like winning the race. So you have to picture this, that I'm alone on a race course going up 4th Avenue in Brooklyn. There's no other runners around because the elites haven't started yet and the waves of normal people haven't started yet. So I can't be a schluffer. I can't run my normal pace. So I'm running and being strong and, and stopping and waving and saying hello and talking to people. And it is such a violation of marathon protocol 
when you waste that much energy and use that much adrenaline early on in a marathon, you are going to suffer later on. But I was feeling so good. Mile one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, boom, bam, everything's great. All of a sudden I said, you know, my legs hurt and my hamstrings started hurting, my calves started hurting, and I said, I'm not gonna make it. And I certainly wasn't gonna make five hours, but I didn't think I'd make it, period, because I couldn't move. And then at about mile eight, I hear sirens and helicopters. So first I think I'm Ray Liotta and Goodfellas, but I know I have no drugs on me, so I think I'm good. And it's the elite women coming. And they come and they run right past me. They're sprinting. And they sprint. They sprint for 26.2 miles. So I was yelling at, I, at one of the women, you've got this, great job. And I said, <laughs> I said, I'll be right behind you the whole way. Of course, what I meant was I'll be right behind her for the first five minutes, meaning the first five yards. So then the men come, and they're just incredible. They, they run like flamingos. Do flamingos run fast, Coca? I don't know. They run like gazelles. That's the word I'm thinking of or the animal I'm thinking of. And I was just in awe, and I'm struggling. But then I'm back to being alone. But then all of a sudden, the waves that start at 9.10 and then 10.20 and then 10.50, they come, and they're passing me, and I'm not moving. My adrenaline is empty. I'm eating Kit Kats. I stopped and had some donuts. I had goo. I had some syrup. I had candy in addition to the Kit Kats like Swedish Fish and Sour Patch Kids. And I had a Coke, which I don't drink, but I someone had Coca-Cola. I said, that may be helpful. And here's what happened. I was going to quit. The number of races that I've done where I've quit is zero. And in addition to 25 marathons, I had an Ironman, some ultras, and I'd never quit. But the marathon in New York City happens to go very near my where I live. So I was going, I said to myself about four miles before I got into Manhattan, when I'm in Brooklyn and then Queens, I said, I'm just going to pull off and I'm going to go lie down and watch football because I don't need this. I'm not getting a personal best. And then I realized that behind me was Brett with Parkinson's, and he there's no way he was gonna quit. All of the different Achilles runners, those are disabled runners. I ran by Rudy Garcia Tolson from Challenge Athletes Foundation, who has no legs, and was running on the Oscar Pistorius, um, oh God, come on, Coca, blades. And I just said, I'm not gonna do it. And then throughout the race, it was the cheering of the crowd and the people who called out my name. Someone said, hey, you're going really slowly, but it's nothing personal. That was the line of the day. And I was going slowly enough that I heard it. So I just want to say that, first of all, thank you. Second of all, adrenaline is something that is fascinating because when you have it, you can do anything. When you lose it, you can't do anything. So last night, I finished and got the medal. I was all happy. My legs hurt. I couldn't feel them. And I slept for 45 freaking minutes. And this happens to me after races, and I wanted to talk to you about it in case it happens to you. 
after the Ironman, I didn't sleep for three nights in Hawaii. I stayed in Hawaii for three nights. Didn't sleep at all for three straight nights. Marathons, it's the first night. I'll sleep well tonight. And it's because your body is so pumped up that for me, I can't calm it down. No matter how sore I am, I cannot calm my brain or my body down. So the drug, the power of adrenaline is really something else. And I had taken like an Advil PM to try not to be sore today. I did a lot of things that I hoped would help me sleep. Adrenaline. I'm going to run out in about 40 minutes. And I'm going to go night, night before I start working on tomorrow's show. So, of course, I still prepared for a show. Coke and I had to do the preparation early this morning because I didn't get the show done yesterday until I think I got it done at like three o'clock this morning and sent it to Coca and he laughs at me. What Coca and I do not have this in common. I'm not sure what we do have in common other than how talented he is and how much he thinks I'm not funny. But we were talking about the show and one of the things that we wanted to make sure we talked about were these qualifying offers. And I was gonna lead the show with it until I told him I wanna lead with marathons. Qualifying offers, it's the baseball offseason. A couple things happen now. MLB tries to keep your attention. There are general managers meetings that are starting this week. And that's supposed to be the beginning of the hot stove. So there's all sorts of ancillary programming on MLB Network. The announcement start of all the, the awards, the regular season awards, Gold Gloves, Silver Sluggers, Cy Young, Manager of the Year, Rookie of the Year, improved, Most Improved Player. That may not be an MLB most improved player? I can't even remember. But it's manager of the year, rookie of the year, etc. I got to do my, uh, Coca, will you remind us when we're preparing for tomorrow? Let's get the timeline of when everything's announced so we can do wait to seize on everything. So the gold gloves got announced last night in the middle of Sunday night football. And it was pretty cool. The St. Louis Cardinals broke a record, had five gold glovers on one team. I wanted to just give you a little nugget of how we view the gold gloves on the inside. We celebrate him by putting them on the cover of the media guide the next year. We do a presentation opening day the next year when one of our players wins a gold glove. Everyone's got a gold glove bonus in their contract. We do a little extra if we're trying to sign someone to avoid arbitration or if we're trying to sign a free agent. We'll do, hey, instead of 25 grand, how about 100 grand for a gold glove? And it always made me crazy because gold glove is incredibly political. While they tried to give a lot to first-timers this year, that was very nice of them. But generally, you have to have a really good offensive year to have a gold glove. And it's not chosen, in my opinion, by evaluators who I value in their evaluation when it comes to me deciding who's good at defense and working with the baseball people to figure out who we want. So while I congratulate people who get gold gloves, and it's really cool when Yelich won his gold glove, uh, they send you, Rawlings actually sends you a gold glove. And when you, your glove going forward that you use every day has on the, uh, where, you, where you put your hand in a glove and you can see sort of a strap over the top of your wrist. When you've won a gold glove, that strap is gold. I don't think it's real gold, but it looks gold. And then they'll put the number of times you've been a gold glove on the glove, like stitch it in. Because all players get their, obviously their names or whatever they want stitched into their gloves. So it's very cool to have them. And I'm not trying to downplay winning them, but it is extremely political. So you'd say, hey, isn't every award that way? The Hall of Fame is voted on by the writers. You've got MVP and Cy Young. Isn't everything about politics? 
So the answer to that is yes. However, it is way more rare that you have those who do not deserve MVPs win or those who do not deserve Cy Young's win. It is less rare to have someone who doesn't deserve a gold glove win a gold glove. That is the view of those of us who are inside the game. So I just wanted to give you that nugget. Not taking anything away from Nolan Arenado, who wins every year because he is the best defensive third baseman. But it is certainly something that is the least of the awards. But MLB, I don't know why they would hide it the way they did. But they did because that's MLB. But they'll try to make it more exciting maybe for the bigger awards. Although Gold Glove's pretty cool, but not. They get bigger right as they go. So also yesterday was the deadline for qualifying offers. A qualifying offer is under the current collective bargain agreement, which we're still, we, damn it, Coca, which they are, that's not gonna end anytime soon. I've been out for four plus years, and I'm still saying it. OHDH, that's for sure. Old habits, they do die hard. So, under the current collective bargain agreement, there's something called the qualifying offer, which is when on your roster is a free agent because they're not signed for the next year and they have six or more years of service in the big leagues. And if they've never been offered a qualifying offer before, then you may offer a qualifying offer to that player. The qualifying offer is done mathematically. It's a formula. It's based on average salary. And this year, the qualifying offer was $18.4 million, down from 18.9. And when you offer a player a qualifying offer, they've got 10 days to accept it or reject it. If they accept it, they are signed to a one-year $18.4 million contract. If they reject it, what that means is if they sign a multi-year deal with another team, you, as the team who lost them, gets an extra draft pick. So the benefit of offering a player a qualifying offer is that if you don't sign that player, but you know that player is going to get multi-years, you're going to get an extra draft pick. Very nice. The detriment of the qualifying offer is that if you make a qualifying offer to a player who's on the fence about whether or not they're going to get a multi-year deal and they may not get a multi-year deal at the number they think they're worth. So they then accept the qualifying offer and then you're paying 18.4 million to a player that you don't think should be paid 18.4 million because you were going for the draft pick. So it's a dangerous game to play. So what our rule was, if you're ever gonna offer a qualifying offer, which I'm almost positive we never did because we were too scared that they would accept it and then we'd have $18 million or 17 or 15, whatever it was. I'd have to go back and really try to remember whether we offered anyone a qualifying offer, but we would generally not, I'm not remembering, but it doesn't matter. What I wanted to talk about is what teams are doing this year and how their thought process is given that there's a new collective bargain agreement coming. And the new collective bargain agreement may change the rules on qualifying offers, but I promise you that it will grandfather in those teams that offered qualifying offers this year. So any change will be for the next season. So you're operating under this qualifying offer set of rules. However, you're gonna be operating under next year's luxury tax threshold rules, next year's revenue sharing rules. The new collective bargaining agreement is going to have, whenever it's done, it's going to have the rules that govern the game. 
And the rules that matter to teams, whether you're a high revenue team or a low revenue team, if you're a high revenue team, you're focused on what is the luxury tax threshold and what is the penalty for going over it. If you're a low revenue team, you're very focused on revenue sharing and how much revenue sharing you will be eligible to get so you can put that into your budget. You're also very focused on whether or not there'll be any rule changes for service time or and minimum salary. Why do I say minimum salary matters? Because now it's 600 grand. If it goes up to a million, and I'll bet you it's gonna come close to that, that's 10 players who are on the minimum on most teams. $400,000 more per player. Your payroll just went up 4 million before you said, hachu, hachu. Believe me, even the Dodgers pay attention to this. Teams close to the luxury tax threshold pay attention to every penny as much as teams who are operating on a shoestring budget or teams who are trying to save money. And then you don't know whether there's going to be a minimum payroll. So we don't Cut that. I'm tired of making that mistake, Matt. I really am. Just cut it. I'll count this in. Four, six, nine. And teams are very focused on where they are with payroll, both at the high level and the low level. Very concerned about what's going to happen with all of the changes with revenue sharing. Worried about a possible salary floor. That's been rumored. I wouldn't worry. Worried about a possible change in how revenue sharing is calculated. I would worry. So each team goes through its free agents and decides what they're going to do. And I gave you two wait to sees about wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen. When it happens, I revisit it. When it doesn't happen, I revisit it. And I gave you two players who are going to be free agents. And I said, here's what's going to happen with them. I got one right and one wrong. On August 30th of 2021, I said, there is no way the Houston Astros are going to offer a qualifying offer to Justin Verlander. My view was Zach Ranky will be off the books. Justin Verlander's coming off Tommy John. He will not have pitched at all in 2021. The Astros have to pay attention to how they're going to replace Correa if he doesn't sign with the Astros, which, by the way, is a wait to see that I said he will sign with the Astros. I'm feeling very queasy about that one. And we'll get to that next. And... I didn't think that the Astros would think that $18.4 million is worth it for Verlander when the year after Tommy John, you are not the pitcher you were. And Justin Verlander is not the pitcher he was even without Tommy John because he's a year older and he's no spring chicken, folks. I think he's double high. He may be playing 36 or 37 next year. Coco will tell you as soon as he Googles it. So... The qualifying offers come out and it was a huge amount. Oh my God, I was way off. He's playing 39 next year. Unless he's doing steroids like Clemens, which I don't think he is, it is so unlikely that he will get better at 39 than he was at 38 when he didn't pitch or 37 when he got hurt, 36 when he was dominant. And this is a Hall of Famer. This is someone who it was the greatest long-term deal. He and Max Scherzer were two of the best long-term pitching deals ever. But he is not worth $18.4 million. But the Astros said, we think he's going to sign elsewhere for multiple years. We'll take the draft pick. Or what about this? 
Some teams do this, and I would talk to their GMs about this because I didn't get it. If you think you're going to sign your own player back, why do you extend a qualifying offer when you want to do a one-year deal only? You already know whether or not he's got multi-year deals elsewhere. And if you sign your own player after offering your own player a qualifying offer, you don't get an extra draft pick. You just don't get an extra draft pick. You just have your own draft pick. So the Astros gave him a qualifying offer. I think that's a mistake. And then we explained to you how the Mets operate. Noah Syndergaard's had Tommy John. He came back. Remember, he had those two appearances at the end of the season where he threw one inning each, and everyone was drooling. Oh, my God, he's throwing 97. He's back, and he's better than ever. And I said to you, that's not how you judge a pitcher coming back from Tommy John, who's a starter. And if they're going to put Syndergaard in the bullpen, okay, but you don't give him a qualifying offer for that. And if you think he's going to be a starter, which he's always been, uh, just be aware, he's going to have a rough start. Again, two appearances really don't change that. So it's going to be June before he's back to himself, if he ever is. But I said the Mets are going to offer him a qualifying offer. I said that on September 20th. And the reason I said that was a wait to see is that's what Steve Cohn would do. Because he's got the payroll flexibility that it doesn't matter if he's paying $18.4 million on a wing and a prayer. But what he doesn't know is where the luxury tax threshold is. And he also knows he needs more pitching. He needs a better lineup. He's, his payroll is going to go up. Yet he offered Syndergaard a QO, which we knew he would. Will he regret it? Well, I'm going to give you my wait to see for today. Get ready. Syndergaard and Verlander are going to accept their qualifying offer. I do not believe that Verlander will get a multi-year deal. Anyone, he's 39 years old. I do not believe Syndergaard will get a multi-year deal to his liking. He thinks he's a $30 million pitcher. He pitches more like a $20 million pitcher. And with Tommy John, he's a $15 million pitcher. But he's not going to sign 45 over 3. No chance. So he's going to take the 18. He's going to prove health and have a great year. And then, just you wait. And then he is going to sign that multi-year deal. But he'll accept it first. All right, when we come back, we are going to review a sort of documentary that someone asked me to watch. And then we're going to talk about what the Astros did with Correa. We'll be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name's David Sampson. Thank you for rating, reviewing, following, 
telling your friends about nothing personal and helping me during the marathon. Thank you. We're going to keep going. So you know that I watch a movie every day. I love getting your suggestions. I watched a five-part documentary. I think they were only 40-minute episodes each. And it's called Superstar. And I don't know when it's from, and I don't know why I watched it. But it was five different documentaries, different vignettes, I'll call them, about one was Whitney Houston, one was John Ritter, one was Kobe Bryant, one Richard Pryor, and one Robin Williams. I've reviewed a bunch of Robin Williams documentaries, like Come Inside My Head, etc. If you've watched any of those, you don't need to watch this. I've watched a bunch of Whitney Houston documentaries, really good ones. If you've watched any of those, you don't need to watch that. I have never seen a documentary on Richard Pryor or John Ritter or Kobe Bryant. I know enough about Kobe Bryant that I didn't learn one thing. So if you're a Kobe Bryant fan, then you don't need to watch that. So, Superstar on Hulu, if you don't know about Richard Pryor and how he started as a comedian, or the type of person John Ritter was and what he meant to comedy, he was an actor uh, who died young. As a matter of fact, I just realized that's what... <laughs> okay. This, is, I, this happens to me sometimes. This is a blind spot when something I can see around the corner very well in business. Personally, you know I have a very hard time with that and no, don't ever know what's going on personally in my life. But I also, sometimes things are so obvious and I totally miss it because my brain is elsewhere. Every one of these documentaries is about people who died young and tragically. Okay. So watch the Richard Pryor one, watch the John Ritter one. If you haven't seen any documentaries on any of the five, then you'll enjoy it. So during the off season in baseball and in every sport, everyone's figuring out their money situation. They're figuring out who to pay what, how to put their team together. The work starts for presidents and GMs. You're working on your uh, next season in terms of your marketing plan. You are do finishing up your budget for next season off the field, on the field, your marketing budget, your financial, your basically your entire financial budget on and off the field. You're getting a payroll from the owner. You're giving that payroll to the GM. The GM's going to the GM meetings. Then you all go to the winter meetings. You're starting to plan spring training. Everything starts now. And what you do is you put your team on a board. We still use we. It's amazing. That's three, this, this show, Coca. They still use, no, I can say in the past tense, right? What I used to do is we'd go into the GM's office and he'd have a big whiteboard and we would write down the roster. We'd then write down who's on the 40-man roster, which is has fewer people than 40 because you what you're going to read a lot during these first few days of the offseason is the Cleveland Guardians took four people off their roster. The Los Angeles Dodgers removed five people. They call it outrighted, but it just means that you, they're no longer on your official 40-man roster. Every team has 40-man roster. And from that 40-man roster, you choose 26 to be on your active roster. There's no active roster during the offseason. It's who's on your 40-man roster. And... At a certain point, minor league players have to be put on it. After a certain number of years, they have to be put onto your, it's like three years, they have to be put on your 40-man roster or else they're eligible to be drafted by other teams in what's called the Rule 5 draft. That's a lot of nonsense, which is to say that 
teams who are really, really deep don't get to save all of their minor leaguers. It's like an expansion draft, how that would work. And then if you have good scouts, you can pluck people from different from different teams. But the rules are if you pluck someone in the Rule 5, you have to keep them on your active roster the entire season. Because if you don't, you have to offer that player back to the original team who lost them. So there's all sorts of different things that you're working on. But a priority... Because free agency starts six days after the World Series ends. And the World Series ended on November 2nd. Two plus six is eight. Guess what starts today? Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You got it. Free agency. If you want to sign Carlos Correa, you call him up today and you say, hey, Carlos, we're ready for you. You've heard my Jose Reyes story. You know how we've signed free agents in the past. We overoffer and then they accept and then they are on your team, and then we trade them. That's sort of generally how it goes. The Astros tried to preempt Carlos Correa's free agency by announcing leaking. When I say announcing, you say leaking. Announcing, leaking, announcing, leaking. $160 million over five. Wow. Not bad. That's $32 million a year for Carlos Correa for five years because the Houston Astros say, hey, you know what? We're not going over five years. That's what we do. We gave Altuve five years, that's it. Carlos Correa said, thank you, but I'll pass. Gas. And the reason why he said he'll pass is what free agents crave when they're 27 years old. Will you confirm for me that he's 27 years old, Coke? I really think he is. He'll play 28 next year. What free agents crave in their 20s is long-term security in case they stink or get hurt. Carlos Correa knows that he can get more than five years from a team, so there's no chance he'll accept it. So then Jim Crane has to sit with his president and his new GM after he fired Jeff Lunau and say, listen, we've never given more than five do we make an exception for Correa? If we make an exception for Correa, does that mean from then on we have to make exceptions when any of our young guys like Jordan Alvarez or anyone else? And for crying out loud, we only gave Altuve five. And Altuve and Correa make up their middle infield, obviously the stars of the team. So how do you think Altuve is going to feel? You said you won't give more than five. If I've got Altuve on my team and Correa, and I'm ever going to offer Correa more than I offered Altuve. And I don't mean money, because money gets higher. We know this, right? You, when, when a free agent signs 10 years ago, they're not making 30 a year, but they may be better players than those making 30 a year. Frankly, there are pitchers who are way better who don't even make 18 million, never did in their careers. We understand escalation of, of salaries, individual salaries, not necessarily payroll, but individual salaries. But if you go over five years, you got to call Jose. And you have to say, listen, while we told you we never do it, we want Correa back. What are your thoughts? We're going to offer him seven years. And Altuve will say, great. Thanks for letting me know. I want my double play partner back. We're a better team with Correa. If you're not going to go above five, you know you're not getting Correa. When I say goodbye to Altuve, when the season ends, when they lost in the World Series, they won the, they lost in the World Series to Atlanta. 
My adrenaline's gone, folks. What do you want? I'm going to talk to Altuve. Much like we talked to our own players when we weren't going to sign them or when we were going to trade them, and I would over-communicate, much to the chagrin of people I worked with. But I just wanted to tell him, Jose, it's, it's not looking good with Carlos. I would caution him. Because I want him to be ready for the fact that he's going to sign elsewhere. The reason I think that Altuve will allow for the Astros to improve their offer to Correa is Altuve wants to win a championship post-2017 and knows that Correa is the number one shortstop free agent. For me, I have him slotted above Corey Seager. I have him above Trevor Story. But so does every other team. So Jim Crane is making that decision, the owner of the Astros. Do I go above five or not? We're going to wait to see. But that was the offer that the Astros made. I personally believe they were making that offer knowing that he was not going to take it. So they can then tell their fans, hey, we offered him 32 million bucks a year. But fans are on to that now. We've been doing that for 20 years where we would leak an offer that we knew the player wouldn't accept. The Marlins just did it this year with Starling Marte. Not under me, under Jeter. So teams do that often where they think that it'll accrue to the benefit of their own PR because they think that fans will say, oh my God, you tried, way to go, that's amazing, I'm so happy you did that. Whatever, you guys are all smart because you listen to the show. So I don't think you actually care that we're just offering 32 knowing he's not gonna take it. All right, I wanna get to the nothing personal pick of the day right now. And I wanna say that uh, I do not understand how the Knicks beat the Bucks in Milwaukee. Now, half the Bucks had COVID, but we lost that on Friday night. I'm sorry. I don't understand how Michigan State is in the college football playoff and they lose to Purdue. Upset alert. I thought they'd crush them. They got their ass kicked. They won't see the top four in the CFP until 2030. That'll do it for Michigan State. See you later. We're 0-2. And frankly, the Sunday pick was the one I thought I'd lose because I thought that the Browns getting 2.5 from the Bengals probably wasn't going to be enough, but a home team giving 2.5 seems like it's a the fix is in, so go with the underdog. And wow, was I right. The Browns crushed the Bengals. Just goes to show you, no player is irreplaceable. Wait, we're going to talk about that next. Are there irreplaceable players? Is Aaron Rodgers irreplaceable? Hold on. Let's get to that. Browns plus two and a half over Bengals was a winner. So that's a one and two weekend, which followed our three and oh weekend last weekend. 145 and 131. I'm going to watch Monday Night Football tonight when I wake up tomorrow, maybe in the middle of the night, because I'm not going to, I'm going to try to go to bed unless I sleep today. Bears plus seven versus Steelers. Bears plus seven versus Steelers. Yeah, I'm out on the Steelers. The Steelers beat the Bills. The Jaguars beat the Bills. The Jaguars beat the Jets. The Dolphins, I mean. Yeah, it's over. No chance. We're taking the Bears plus seven. It's way too many. All right. I want to finish the show now with the segment on Aaron Rodgers to talk to you about what's happening with him. It's the story of the weekend. I wanted to end with it and not start with it because I want people to understand when I talked about immunized and my shameful was the word of the day last week. I don't remember what day, but it could easily have been Friday. I wanna tell you what the fallout has been, and I don't mean just the skit on Saturday Night Live. 
I'm talking about the actual fallout from what Aaron Rodgers did and how fascinating it is. I spent a lot of time over the weekend because I had hours and hours on the course to talk to people and I had time before and after the marathon. Packers fans and just football fans. People who are vaccinated, some who were not, very few were not, most were. What do you think of the Aaron Rodgers situation? The overwhelming majority of people like you and me had the same reaction. You want to go Cole Beasley? Go. You want to be honest and say that you don't want to be vaccinated and then you want to go Carson Wentz? Go. But put a mask on when you take your helmet off. Follow the protocols. And don't lie. That was the overwhelming reaction. Aaron Rodgers realized he had a small problem. He had a PR problem. People were sullying him over his I'm immunized comment. So he goes on Joe Rogan and explains what happened. And what struck me about that is it was it was not on Joe Rogan. Thank you. Excuse me. Cut it. We can't wipe that, right? We'll be right back to talk about Aaron Rodgers. 14, 28, 69. Aaron Rodgers knew he had a PR problem. He makes weekly appearances on the Pat McAfee show. And he figured, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to explain to people why I did what I did. Why when I say I'm immunized, I wasn't lying to you because everyone's calling me a liar. And I'm a little worried how that's going to impact me. So he goes on McAfee, and it was an unmitigated disaster. He is the type of guy who I assume takes PR help only from Yoko Woodley at best. He gets on there and says, I followed the protocols as set forth by Joe Rogan. (laughs) Joe Rogan is a podcaster, folks. He's not a doctor. He's not a scientist. He's clearly an anti-vaxxer. But he's got all these different things. Joe Rogan got COVID and then took this treatment and that treatment. So Rogers took this treatment, that treatment. And by the way, I'm good. I'm immunized. I'm inoculated. You're not inoculated. You didn't get shot, vaccinated. But he was explaining that he met with medical personnel to talk about the Rogan plan. And that it was explained that he is allergic to some ingredient in the vaccination manufactured by Pfizer and Moderna, but not J&J. He could have taken that, but he didn't like the side effects. Please understand what I'm saying to you. Great, Aaron. I'm good with that. Not really, but just tell us, and then we'll let you off the hook. So he meets with this medical team and the medical team gives him this cocktail to take and he then says, I needed my body to be strong and this was the way my body would be strong. And I went to the NFL Players Association, the NFL, for an exemption. I didn't get it. So the NFL and the Players Association knew that he was violating COVID protocols, by the way. Interestingly enough, they didn't seem to care. 
until all of this came down. Don't get me started. Although, get me started. I got four minutes. If you're going to pick and choose to protect your superstars that way because you're in a superstar league like the NBA is, you're going to get caught. And when you do it with travel or hotels or other things that we don't think about, or other things we don't really care about, like special treatment of when they have to get to a stadium or when they get to do their interviews. Special treatment on the location of interviews. I've come across that. As fans, we're going to be fine. You're a superstar. You deserve it. But with COVID protocols, people are far less forgiving. Don't treat this guy differently because he's Aaron Rodgers. He is subject to the exact same protocols that we all have to be subject to. Hard stop. So the NFL whiffed, the Packers whiffed, and Rodgers buried himself with these cockamamie stories. So what do you do when you are State Farm and Aaron Rodgers is your brand? What do you do when you're a healthcare provider and Aaron Rodgers is your spokesperson? You have the fastest meeting in the West. Here's how it went with State Farm. Hey, listen, he's in roughly a quarter of the commercials we do. Pull them. Don't show them anymore. We don't need our insurance agency and our company associated with Rogers. He's hotter than a tamale. Don't pull all of them. Show like a diddle, but only show them in the red states. Companies do that, by the way. But the healthcare provider team, whose name was, I have it here. I thought I had it here. Is it Privia, Livia, Sivia, Slovenia, Pradia, Provola, Provolone? It's one of those. They made an immediate statement. Previa. Thank you, Coca. I was that. I may have even said that in my 10 choices. They got together and said, within moments, uh, we can't do this. Forget like suspending him or not showing him in commercials. Um, we're ending our relationship with him. Think about this. Are these people, State Farm, Previa, and all the other Packer fans out there, are you dropping him because he didn't get vaccinated? Are you dropping him because he lied? Are you dropping him because you don't want him associated with your product? This is Aaron Rodgers. This is a guy who is doing commercials nonstop for these companies. It's the easiest meeting ever. Say it with me because you know exactly why. They get together, they look at their numbers, and they realize, uh-oh, get rid of them. Get him on the phone right now and say, Aaron, good luck. It's just business. It's nothing personal. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. 
Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.